afternoon. You're listening to Scariff Bay Community Radio and Local Media This Week, the programme where we have a look at the local print media here, Clare Champion and the Clare Echo we have here in front of us on the table, and we give our own take on what's in it and maybe suggest a bit of reading for listeners. Delighted to have our most of our crew here today. Uh, John S. is uh, unavoidably absent, so we haven't got him, but uh, we do have Pat O'Brien, so you're very welcome, Pat. Thanks, Jim. And David Fleming, you're welcome back, David, after a, a week away. Afternoon, Jim. Hope you come back rested and relaxed. <laughs> oh, ready to go, Jim. Good. And off the bench again this week is Luke Fleming. Luke, you're very welcome. It's not getting warm, Jim. I'm, I'm getting upset. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you have you have subbed quite a bit this week, but you know an impact sub, I think, David. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, we would we wouldn't have it any other way. Jim. No. <laughs> anyway, um, looking at the uh, the headlines and the various things in the papers. Um, just one of the things that comes to our attention there is Loop Head. And uh, during the week, I'd say maybe last weekend, uh, some new facilities perhaps. Well, they're quite what's new, we're not quite sure. Well, well, like, I'd, I'd say, Jim, our new mayor um, started travelling to the west side of the county because he unveiled the Puka statue and then he was uh, uh, up yeah. in Loop Head. So there's a, a nice picture there on page uh, two of the Clare Echo and page seven of the Clare Champion. And uh, Loop Head opened to the public. Loop Head uh, uh, visitor, sorry, Lighthouse Visitor Experience has opened its doors for the first time since 2019, following a significant upgrade of the historic and popular West Clare visitor attraction, which I think is a little bit misleading because there is work going on there, but a lot of it isn't going to be available until next year because uh, uh, there's a new interpretation exhibition area and the stable block will be opened early next year following a 1.3 million euro um, refurbishment or, or 1.3 in the champion uh, the echo has it at 1.2 so maybe inflation has um, <laughs> has, has crept t- in has crept in but I, I, I do know I have a little bit of interest in the whole lighthouse thing and um, uh, they were getting running water uh, to the facility and there's going to be a reception cafe and a seating area and uh, toilets and a covered wa- walking area and they have a walking trail network that they're uh, developing around yeah, uh, that's, that's, as well you know there's a fine area for walking there along, along the cliffs there is actually indeed. i was up there and, and i walked around yeah it well, is it is you'd want to do it on a fine day like we're having at the moment because oh, yeah, uh, yeah, on a wet Autumn or winter's day, it is very boggy on loop head, yeah. as I've discovered. And you you stand and you your shoes be full of water. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, soft on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, we were there now a couple of years ago. We didn't go walking out towards the cliff, but uh, it's, it was a miserable day. You could see nothing. Yeah. You, could, yeah. you couldn't see the Kerry Mountains or you couldn't see anything. Yeah. Um, but it's a lovely spot. It is, Absolutely. and lovely to go into and to go up on the lighthouse. Yeah, that now I have never done, and I'm looking forward to it. And it mm. says here that um, uh, it was put there in the 1670s, which I believe. And a bit of research that I would have been doing a long time back, it was it was always lit with coal, and the coal, of course, had to be brought in. But when there was a shortage of coal, they had to use turf. 
Um, but that has been, in essence, protecting uh, the coast, protecting ships for a very long time. I think one of the oldest lighthouses in the country is at Hook Head. Yes. That goes back... Hook, Hook is one, if not the oldest in the world. In, in, in the world, yeah. yeah. It goes yes. back, I think, well, I don't know, it could be 1100, 1100 something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, but we're lucky to have this one here in Clare. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully we'll, we'll have our own uh, exhibition area in East Clare, hopefully in the next few years with uh, events in uh, Holy Island. Yeah. Yes. Another okay. tower. Another tower, <laughs> yes. Exactly. Anyway, so I might be to climb to the top of that one. Now, and so. would you believe, now this is a bit of, I'm, I'm going a bit off-piste on this one, but I, I was away at the weekend, I was looking through a book, and there is a lovely picture, painting, of Loch Derg and Holy Island, and I don't think it's known by many people. It's up in Northern Ireland in the Ulster Folk Museum. Yes. And uh, if Clare County Council are listening... For the interpretive centre, it would be lovely to either borrow it or to get a copy of it or something. A beautiful 19th century picture. Lovely. Oh, very nice. Um, anyway, I actually, last Saturday, Saturday of last weekend was the day because on his way back, um, I met the new mayor in Killaloo because he came back to attend. There was a launch of a book down there. Yeah. Um, Marie O'Connell, a book called... Who's going to bury us? Oh yes, it's an interesting title, but um, it's, it's it's about the the um, lack of uh, clergy clergy yeah. in the you know and the increasing lack of clergy. Yeah. But the, the chairman was there as well in his home patch. Tony O'Brien. Tony O'Brien. Indeed. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more photos of him throughout the year. I have no well, doubt about it. And I have no doubt that he has been in around uh, his own patch at the weekend, seeing as the Brian Brew Festival is on. So. That's right. But we'll yes. talk more about that in part two. We so will indeed. There's 10 full-time staff in, in, um, in Lopehead. I shall follow in completion. Uh, completion um, following competition initiated by the local authority three months ago. And as it's expected this year, the low-paid lighthouse will open from July to end of September, and next year it is hoped that it can be extended with a possible reopening in April. If the tourist season is still busy, the lighthouse may remain open even longer. So I suppose the, 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 they have got money for um, the, the Vendelio Wild Gardens as well, so they're going, they're going to do development there. Yeah. Well. Another place well worth visiting. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and a bit of joint up thinking in that they're, they're promoting the two of them together. And David, you, you will enjoy it when you get there because I know the, the tours that they bring up to the lighthouse, I think, have a max of 12 people. So, small group. And you, well, that's good. You, yeah, you, you'll get to you'll see a nice view all going well. Well, I, I might make sunshine. it my business to go down this summer. But just as you were mentioning all the places, page nineteen of the Clare Echo has has family days out in Clare, and Pat mentioned the Vandalore Walled Garden. Craigenown is there as well. Easter Park is mentioned. Um, Dromore Woodland Nature Reserve. Anyway, they're all listed there on page nineteen. Go out and get the Echo, and have a look at them. Indeed. Okay, and then that's it. from a good news story to a less good news story, and that concerns UHL and the hospital. And I see in the in both papers, in fact, in the on page ten of the Clare Echo and on page one of the Clare Champion, uh, a letter from consultants, and the consultants have little or no confidence in the management, David. Yeah, uh, well, this is not surprising, Jim, really. Um, Dan Denner has the story on page one, as you said, of the, of the champion. And uh, they've obviously reached 
a, a tipping point if they've had to write. They've, the consultants have asked UL Hospitals Group uh, Chief Executive Officer Colette Cowan to work with them to correct immediate problems so that this current, what they call, intolerable situation for patients and staff is ended. In a hard-hitting letter obtained by the Clare Champion, the consultants expressed their deep concern in relation to patient safety in the hospital and the uh, inordinate pressure, it's their words, that junior doctors are being put under at the present time to maintain acceptable clinical standards in the hospital. So it's not surprising. That I think one of the page two, I think, have it, or actually both papers have it, 83 patients were on trolleys um, on Wednesday last. Yeah, but, but David, uh, I said we've spoken ad, ad nauseum about this, but if you look at the figures there, Porrick has it on page 10, says an 11% higher emergency department attendance in the first five months of this year. It's not comparing it to last year or the year before. Compared to 2019, yeah. which would have been a normal Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Yeah. 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 Right? So that's 11% higher. Yeah. yeah. It's, only, it's, it's not sustainable and it's not going to get any better. I mean, people will not get, are not just not going to get sick. And the, with a rising population, which we have, you know, it's whatever it is, 6% increase. Um, it's, it's not fit for purpose. No, and presumably people aren't willingly opting to come into to accident emergency. No, it's, I'd it's say they would prefer to go somewhere else or to tough it out. But they would. You, you, if you're in serious trouble if you have to go to accident emergency. Yes. Mm. I, I, I note, um, we'll say, our local TD... Um, Deputy McNamara has a, a few comments in it there at the end of Porek's um, uh, article, and it's, and it's also alluded to in the champion as well. He says, the government are not treating the matter as life and death. The Scarf Nated said, while criticising the move of the Taoiseach to visit Ukraine. And then, uh, with a bit of wit, reference in a Labour Party meeting in which Michael D. Higgins was absent, the late Frank Klusky said, if it was a choice between saving the world and the Labour Party, he would save the world because it was the easier option. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a name from the past. Yeah, yeah, it, says, it reminds me of this in the Tisha going to Ukraine where he's going to have little if any yeah. influence. He can actually do something for health care here. And the whole point about it is none of them have done anything for health care to sort out the issues in health care here over, you know, it's it's well, it's, it's well over ten years. I tell you, we're hearing about the last fifteen years. Yeah, uh, more since since, uh, since before more. they closed Nina and yeah, Tim. Yeah. Like Nina, there was always or sorry, Nina yeah, and Clara. Yeah. I, I should say Nina and Ennis. You know, I said the hero that came up with the idea to close uh, the emergency departments in Ennis and Nina, Nina without putting extra resources mm. into Limerick. Yeah. Mm. Now, fair enough if they decide to close them, but put extra resources into mm. the main yeah. hospital. Yeah. I, I, we go back to the whole centre of excellence. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's certainly not a centre of excellence. I mean, the doctors and nurses do their best, Pat, I think, but if they're not given the resources yeah. and it, they mm. can't cope with the numbers... The problem isn't the, sta it, the, problem isn't, isn't the staff. Mm or the care you get when no. you go in there. That's not the issue. The issue is that when you're into the, the accident and emergency and the weight. The and once you get past that, uh, mm. yeah. it deals, it's fine. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what, do, what does it need? I mean, in, in our layman's terms, 
it needs presumably more people in there. More staff, yeah. And more uh, facilities. You were thinking facilities, more, yeah. more beds. More beds. More beds. More rooms to see people. Yeah. Well, yeah. More I had my connections on the radio this morning. He was on Claire McPhee and he, he was interviewed and he said that per head of population here, where we have uh, our, our ratio is less than anywhere else in the country. Mm. Mm. And they have been told that, and they don't seem to be uh, yeah. doing anything about it. Yeah. They don't care. We're not in Dublin, Pat, so it yeah, doesn't matter. Your, no. your minister admits hospital worries. Do you hear this now? For, this is from page four on the chapter. Then, then, uh, Health Minister Stephen Dunley has admitted he is concerned about the significant risk to patients due to overcrowding at the University Hospital Limerick. So we all know that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Which was identified in the recent Hickel report. Responding yeah. to issues raised by the door by Deputy Michael McNamara, Minister Donnelly acknowledges UHL has not, was not compliant with three national standards and was partially compliant with one standard following an, un an unannounced inspection on March 15th. The inspection, for the, the inspection focused particularly on the important issues of patient flow and inpatient bed capacity in the hospital. Respect, dignity, and privacy for people receiving care in the ED and staffing levels in the ED. The compliance plan agreed by the University Hospital Limerick with HICWA to bring about compliance with the relevant standards contains short term within three months, medium term within six months, and long term within, within three years actions. So, I don't know, so that's, 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 that's. But I, I wonder, you know. If the hospital isn't getting the resources that it needs, is there a point in blaming the management? I mean, you know... I said the management of the list. The suggestion is like that the management are the problem. Mm. Well, we'd like to hear maybe their perspective. We never hear yeah. from Miss Cowan, do we? Yeah. Um, so we've but heard now from the doctors. The doctors have written to her saying, will you work with us to solve the problem? So it, that suggests, though, that the doctors believe that it is a, an administrative managerial and that they can maybe solve some of the issues if, yes. I don't know, whatever yeah. they're looking for. Well, well, we'll keep following it anyway on this program. Okay, moving on. Another area which we have discussed several times here, but it's in the news again, and that is the whole question of pyrite. And during the week, the government... I suppose Pat bulldozed through uh, a piece of legislation in a very short space of time, and uh, many of the people who sure, so summer is coming, Jim. Yeah, tensions mount as blocks. I said they're heading for the beach. Tensions mount as the blocks spill ran through. Fiona McGarry has the story on the front of the club champion, and uh, it's in the in the clerical there as well. Tensions between campaigners and political representatives have ratched up significantly this week as the Oireachtas moves to finalise the bill to underpin a new grant for those with defective blocks. On Tuesday, Clare's government, TD's Deputy Cahill Crow and Joe Clare voted in favour of a proposal to allow just two hours to finalise the draft law. The move has angered local campaigners who have sought 80 amendments. Campaigners themselves, meanwhile, came in for criticism for some members, from some members of the local authority. The Clare Pirate Action Group, along with campaigners in Limerick, Sligo, Mayo and Donegal, challenged councillors to declare their support for the amendments. A poster was then circulated on social media with X to the face of those who had not responded by the deadline. So it appears there's a, a row going on between the TDs and the, and the Pirate Group and 
and the councillors. Isn't it funny, Pastor? We, we read in the papers all the time about Deputy Carey, Deputy McNamara, Deputy Crow, and they go out and they look at the houses and they tell us how bad it is and they give them their support and mm. then when the crunch actually comes, they vote, they, they stop listening to the Pyrite group who wanted 80 amendments. Now, probably some of those mm. amendments are off the wall and wouldn't ever be accepted, but maybe, you know, some of them are valid and genuine. And, and Deputy Crow and Deputy Carey decide to vote against it. Now, they are members of the government, but you have a member of the, a minister in the government from Donegal who decided to vote against the bill and therefore lose the party whip. Yeah. Like, where, does, where do you think that puts the two clear deputies who voted for it? Well, if, if, if we haven't a whip in a party, you, you, you will probably won't have... Uh, yeah. You probably won't have, uh, but, have enough of votes to, yeah. you know, to vote. But, but on a, such a serious issue like this, uh, particularly for the constituents, and we've, we've said it here for months that it is a big serious issue, we've debated it, um, it's the biggest, it's one of the biggest compensation schemes the country has ever uh, uh, embraced. And they've only got two hours. Uh, one of the issues is they've only got two hours uh, to debate it um, in the doll um, on such a serious issue. Could they not have given it more time even? Not at all, because they've so much rubbish to be sort of going through that they haven't done for the last four or five years that they sort of make a bit of a push to try and get a few things through for the summer. Because they'll run off on holidays next week. Exactly. Like, yeah. it's interesting, like we say, Fiona has written some great articles mm. and has covered this extensively over the years, but I, I sort of notice a bit of a, uh, there's a, a different tone between what, what's in, we'll say, the champion and what's in the echo. Like we'll say, in page six of the champion, Deputy Carey raises CPEG uh, bill concerns in the Dáil, which is the Clare, uh, what's it called, Clare Pyrite Action Group, that's CPEG. And but it, votes for the bill nonetheless. Yes, and it's pointed out that he, he first raised the issue of defective blocks in, in 2018. He said that while many aspects of the new grant were welcome, concerns remained. Whereas uh, Porrick Wright in the, in the Echo has, you know, the, the by, or the, I suppose the, the header is anger over Dahl vote. Pyrite Action Group founder disgusted by Clare TD votes. And if you read down through it, it's a little bit like now 26 of, 20, of Clare's 28 councillors have responded, outlining that they would support their call for due time and consideration to the amendments with two. Uh, uh, councillors who uh, didn't give their uh, response in, in the time. But uh, the lady that is sort of, you know, Martina Cleary, who is heavily involved in this, you know, in this group, yeah, CPAC. She's the chairperson, yeah. Like, she, she told the Clare Echo that some councillors said, quote, they didn't like the tone of an email received from their group. Yes. Right? Seriously, it's time for them to get over themselves. We're dealing with the biggest crisis in the history of the state. It's spreading like wildfire. The tone I'm listening to the walls of my house is more disturbing than any tone of an email I could put together. The tone of that is enough to be worried about rather than briefing councillors what they should know to be talking about. Get over themselves. This is the devastation of people's lives. Now, back to the champion, and we'll say Deputy Carey welcomes the increase of the grant going from 275,000 up to 420,000. But um, 
he's, you know, he appealed for extra time to debate and amend the bill, but still voted with the government, you know, as they mm. do. Whereas uh, uh, Jim McHugh and Donegal fell in his sword. Mm. Now, I would imagine uh, Jim might be thinking about the next election yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah. But, it, but in fairness, this issue originated from Donegal. It did. It, it did. did. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't think it, it would be fair. And, to and they are talking about running candidates in the next election. Now, the next mm. election, it might be sooner than we think. Well, mm. with, with that resignation or losing the whip, uh, the government has lost its majority. It has lost mm. its majority. It's now reliant on independence. Well, we're two and a half years now into we this are. government. We so, are. In, in theory, we're halfway through. We are, in theory, if the government survives but as, as as Luke says they have lost their majority but they are being supported by a number of independents and those people like Joe McHugh who who um, who will probably continue to vote with them mm. and probably will come back into the party but it does give independents like Deputy McNamara um, yeah, a bit more a little bit more leverage mm, if, yeah. he, if they choose to to use it yeah, Michael, yeah. Michael McNamara has the, the Barrister TD proposal in Minister Black's bill Embarrassed uh, of an independent TD, Michael McLean has urged the government to pursue companies responsible for producing defective concrete blocks through the courts. The Scarlet Man has tabled amendments to the bill underpinning the revised homeowner grant in a dull debate on Thursday, June 20. He said he is not happy to sign a blank cheque on this without knowing that the minister will seek to recover some money from those who manufacture defective concrete blocks for profit and make huge amounts of profit. With directors bonuses and the whole shebang of not having the stricter a whole shebang and not have the stricter being the only entity paying for the huge damage that they cause. I, I think he's right to be hundred percent right. That, hmm. that, they, that they should be uh, chasing up the companies. Yeah, but they should have been chasing them up first. Yeah. You know? I wonder if this thing is I know we've discussed it last week as well that we were talking about. Is this going to be so big? and so overwhelming because we talked about it last week that some you know started Nunigal, spread to Mayo, now Clare. Is it not going to spread to the 26 counties? But eventually? it likely is Jim and I said what, what started off in Clare as oh, one or two you know I would say according to um, you know, we'll say what, what, what's in the... the 17 the, the, housing, yeah. housing schemes. But, but the Clare Pirate Clare, Action Group has identified 1,025 potentially impacted private houses. Mm -hmm. 17 mm -hmm. private housing estates, 5 local authority housing estates, yeah. 11 large-scale public and private dwellings. And yeah. I guarantee you, as I said this a few weeks ago, we'll be sort of uh, reading about this in six months' time and the only thing that will have changed is the figures have doubled. Mm -hmm. yes. mm. And it would be hard to believe that the blocks stopped at the county bounds and Correct. didn't get beyond into Limerick or yeah. Tipperary or Galway. Well, there's definitely some in Limerick yeah. and in Tipperary. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be a whole so country thing. You're right, Jim. But it's going to be a huge burden on the taxpayer. It will. Uh, as yeah. time goes on, because yeah. even if all the block companies are brought up and have to, I mean, it would effectively close them down. They wouldn't be able they wouldn't to. Be able well, to they, they, but they, they short. They, they could, they, they, there's, there's some of them companies very profitable. Mm. They could come up with some of the money anyway. They could, of course. A portion of it. The government are probably wrong, uh, wrong as well because they, they probably have no 
they have no uh, nobody looking after the thing. Yeah. Checking out uh, production and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, supervising. Supervising and going in and checking. Well, it's, it's the standards. It's yeah. uh, and standards. we all should we all we all now say oh we went up in the Celtic Tiger as if to say there's only thrown up like yeah you know and and standards did drop. They did, but I say some of those some of those houses now uh, even one before the Celtic Tiger. Yes, they, yes, uh, I know, um, yeah. David. Okay, we'll go on. Um, we've, I don't know, have we come in here uh, and had a program without talking about Shannon um, for months and months and months, but sure, we might as well keep the tradition going. Um, I see the new chair of, uh, of, the, uh, of the Shannon group, um, he has an article there in, or a, a piece about it in, uh, on page 8 of the, the Clare Echo. And uh, he's looking forward to serving a full term. You'd say the best, the best news that you could hear in a long time. Is yes. that a little bit of a jibe at the last fella, um, Okeja, who, who... How long did he last? Well, he lasted six months. The six other months. Man, the other yeah. man lasted about six minutes. So, obviously, he... Well, maybe six hours. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, Porig asked him, how long do you think you'll be in this job? <laughs> and he says, a full term. But... Um, uh, Again, he, he has in it, David, um, aviation is in Ireland's b biggest challenge is to tackle the very imbalanced aviation sector, that's quote-unquote, and, and has, was, you know, a week or two ago when they came out with the figures. 87% of traffic going through Dublin Airport with the remaining 13% between four airports. Now, yeah. I, bearing in mind that uh, David, in the real republic, there's one of those four airports, you know, which, yeah. you know, Cork being the second mm. yeah. most populous uh, county yeah. in, in the country. It is absolutely crazy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's yeah. typical yeah. of yeah. the lack of planning yeah. in this yeah. country. But you have a lot of people from the Midlands, um, from the West, yeah, yeah, but maybe Jim, the South yeah, even, but Jim, who they, go to Dublin. Yeah, but Jim, they say what, a, a third, a third, maybe slightly 40% of the population is, is in Dublin. Well, the other 60% of it is around the rest of the country. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I, I know that a few neighbours of mine were on recently and they, they went through Dublin. But anyway, I'll tell you that. Uh, I was watching the golf, you heard the golf down in, 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 in the Irish Open was on down in, in, in Kilkenny. And then you heard JP Jimenez's uh, two day event J down in. JP was good for Shannon. He was. Well, he 30, was, 30 private planes came into Shannon with, with golfers. Uh, Tiger Woods and Rory and all those fellas came in. Well, funny you mentioned but that, Pat. Just he's pictured there and the private jet. Presumably his private jet, Tiger Woods, yeah. with two Shannon yeah, uh, the, police. The paper says there even that there were 30 private jets coming. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I saw them all right. I, was, I, I flew through Shannon last week on my way to London. And uh, it was a breeze to go through Shannon. Mm. Now, I noticed the car park was full. The place where I parked, which is park for less, which is only eight euro a day, very cheap. And the main car park was full, which I took to be a very good sign of Shannon. And so if Shannon does any better, you'd have to think, well, they'll have to figure out where, where they're going to put everybody. But that's why the rail link and all these other connections, buses and so on, would be important in the future. But anyway, I flew through Shannon. Shannon was a pleasure, um, no problems. But the minute I hit Heathrow, I landed in Heathrow and I spent one hour on the runway. Couldn't even get into the terminal. 
because of the problems they're having there. Um, the plane was, uh, another plane was taking up the Shannon slot. So you to sit on the tarmac, or, or on the plane exactly. on the tarmac. Yeah, and Aer Lingus were very apologetic, but sure, it wasn't their fault. And, and then, unfortunately, on the way back on Sunday night, affected a lot of people here in Clare who have to work in London and England uh, who commute. And there are a good few people who take those flights. Um, the flight was cancelled. The Sunday night flight was cancelled because Aer Lingus staff had COVID. Um, so it created chaos. And how, how late was that cancellation now? Uh, the morning, Sunday morning, uh, an email text message saying your flight has been cancelled you've been you've been rebooked for the next day and so then I had to look for a hotel room I had to figure out what to do I had to work out the public transport finding a hotel room um, at short notice is quite costly now there's all sorts of compensation there but um, it, flying is extremely difficult at the moment, whether it's Dublin Airport or Heathrow. But, um, and it is a matter of trying to catch up with the demand. So Shannon is the way to go? Shannon, uh, start from a quiet airport like Shannon and try to go to a quiet yes. airport. <laughs> well, um, the, the golf of the day I was on for two days on Belgian 2, Belgian Media 2. It was going out on, on the golf stations in America as well. And I was sitting down watching, I, I watched a bit of it now on both days, but uh, they had, um, they had uh, came up on television and the, the, the fellow presenting the programme, he talked about the, the Wild Atlantic Way and they showed the bottom and they showed, they showed uh, all around the hinge and yeah. the golf courses and down to Kiki and down to Luke Hill and all of that there. And uh, um, I thought, Maybe Shannon should have an aid, should have an aid on that and, hmm. and, 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 Shannon, and, and include Shannon Airport on it, but yeah, Shannon yeah. wasn't on it, when the world was Shannon on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, below the, 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 in, in the course as well, I know maybe JP hadn't added much advertising, but you'd imagine maybe yeah. if, they, if, they, if he's yeah. staying at Pineton, they'd put a, a, an aid on the course. Hmm. Yeah. And the same, and the, I was watching the, the golf uh, down yeah. in, in Kikini as well, and there was no such thing as a... As, uh, as any advertising for the, for the I think though, down if, there either. I think if people from the Shannon catchment area, the west, the midlands, yeah. the midwest, to the south, we'll say a little bit Limerick, if they all use Shannon, and I know you have bigger choice when you go to Dublin, that's probably mm -hmm. part of it, mm -hmm. but I mean, I would say certainly if, if people use yeah. Shannon and use it to the full, mm -hmm. more and more flights yeah. will, will come from Shannon. But it, can I just say, the experience is much better, and if you can at all, why would you go from mm. anywhere else if you could go from mm. Shannon? Okay. Listen, we'll take the half-time break, then we've a couple of other things, but we'll move them over maybe to part so two. You could just say, Dave's Dodge, uh, you talk about, we're, yes. we're talking about flying, and uh, yes. Dave's car, a lovely picture there in both papers, I suppose, especially page eight of the champion. Uh, has found a permanent parking spot in Clare Museum, a 1947 Dodge car once owned by Eamon de Valera. And as David, as you said, uh, resprayed uh, for his personal use to black. Yes, it was, as I understand it, a maroon colour, you know, one of these nice, rich maroon colours. Uh, you can almost imagine it. It was actually owned by Sean T. O'Kelly, mm. um, who was the third president of Ireland, isn't that right? Or is he the second? He was, he was the second. I think he was the second, yeah. 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 And he obviously sold the car anyway to, to Dev, his colleague and friend. 
And uh, Dev, anyway, decided Maroon wasn't for him. Yes. And so went for a more character, characteristically maybe black um, to look the better part, yeah. maybe. So it, it's on display now in the Clare uh, Museum, and you can look at it from outside, outside because look at the, in the window. Nice, nice big window there now you can have a yeah. look in it. Lovely. Well, I remember back in when 1967, mm. and uh, that Dodge drove up the hill of Scarra. Yeah. Yeah. And it parked beside the market house. Oh. And who got out but Evan de Valera. Yeah, yeah. And I was there to welcome him huh. at the time. And, uh, 1967? 1967. We yeah. were in school in the tavern. Lovely. The Merriman Tavern had a secondary school yeah. in it. Yeah. And yeah. John S. was the, print, the headmaster. And we were all brought out because yes. Dev was coming. Dev. And what was he here for? He was just here for a... Oh, it was only a, like a, a goodwill tour. A goodwill yeah. tour. I think he toured yeah. all, all, all the villages in Clare that, that time. He did. Yeah. 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 Right. Because I remember being over in Alcala and Smeals as well. We were only young lads. It was a big affair. It was a big thing, yeah. yeah. I remember he had a fauna. But the, the gold fauna yeah. for Irish speakers. Yeah. But the fauna wasn't an actual gold ring. It was um, stitched in a kind of a gold oh. ring, stitched into his jacket. Oh. Do you know so I he remember? wouldn't lose it. And he would always be there. Or no one, no one transfer it. No one from Scarra for the Mills would <laughs> take it off him. Yeah. <laughs> Why weren't you very eagle-eyed when you were young there, Jim? Ah. Weren't you? Pat, what are we going to play out with? Well, with um, uh, Jim, uh, uh, as, as, as the summer, as the summer has arrived. We have, a, we have a summer song. In the summertime, 1970, from Mungo Jerry. Absolutely brilliant. So perfect for the day that's in it today as we're recording. In the summertime, Mungo Jerry, enjoy it. We do as we please when the weather's fine. We go fishing or go swimming. 
philosophy. Sing along with us, dee 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 dee. Very welcome back. You're listening to Local Media this week on Scarif Bay Community Radio and hope you enjoyed Mungo Jerry there in the summertime from way back in the early 1970s. We'll have another musical treat for you before we close. But I suppose looking at the paper in the Clare Champion, there is a, an advert there or a, maybe an invitation from the uh, port of uh, Fines or Shannon Fines, um, looking at their um, strategy. So, David, I see you're looking yeah. at it there. The Shannon, the Shannon Fines port. Yeah. Well, we often we often think about wind energy and what's happening offshore and all of that, and it's often in the papers. Um, but this is a little, this is a little sort of hidden away, little gem hidden away, and it just sort of paints a picture of what the future might be might be looking at. Um, it's from Shannon Foyne's port, it's an advert, and they are updating their strategy document, what they call Vision 2041, and that was originally done in 2013. And of course, lots of things have happened since 2013, um, but they have three particular areas which is what they imagine the future to be, delivering offshore wind energy at scale, Right, and it's 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 they they're talking about Shannon Port uh, is the closest deep water port to the Atlantic Wind Resource quantified at over wait for it seventy five thousand megawatts. This represents over one hundred billion of floating wind farm investment over the short, medium, and long term. That's massive, huge. Um, so they obviously have to plan for that, delivering floating offshore wind from the estuary at a scale that matches the potential will require significant port infrastructure development with sufficient deep water access as well as ample space for both dry and wet storage. So they're obviously planning for, that, for all of this equipment and everything else that comes with it. And then there are two other areas as well. But um, have a look. Anybody can sub make a submission if they want to to um, to the Shannon Foynes port by the fifteenth of July. Um, but it's interesting. For, I think from the way what, 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 from my viewpoint is what they're imagining this great future to be. Well, I would say, David, it's private business actually has a plan, mm. which is a lot more can can be said for our government. And I notice uh, on page sixteen of the Champion. Uh, uh, Timmy Dooley is to the fore and he says capturing offshore wind needs to be a priority for the government of which Timmy's party has been in for the last number of years but we'll uh, uh, leave that one aside he called for Ireland to catch up with the neighbours on the matter quote now in fairness to him this government and the previous one which they were also a part of have somehow <laughs> lacked ambition in terms of moving to floating offshore wind while I accept there are projects on the East Coast, the real opportunity is floating offshore wind. Ireland has the capability to export energy into boost parts of the country that have little in the way of industry. And he said this could create jobs in places such as Kirosh, Kilkee and Milltown Malbay and help to address the urban-rural divide to give people an opportunity to have gainful employment back in their communities. That is a win. Is it protecting the environment? Absolutely. Is it having a pop at geopolitics? Yes. 
because never again will we need to be depending on a dictator like Vladimir Putin or the issues in the Middle East or the goal for whatever. Mm. In fairness, all valid points. But I wish, I wish Timmy and his colleagues in all the political parties were saying this about 20 years ago. Well, that, well now I will, I will give Timmy a bit of a break because it is a topic that he brought up in relation to what they were doing at Money Point, and this is long before COVID, I was saying, yeah. before the last election. So I give him a little bit of a pass on it. But he does make sense. A uh, thing that he, he says, uh, you know, let us embrace it as a small country. We did it before in so many other fields. Then, of course, has to get the party political spin in. <laughs> we did it when we set a trend under the Lamas to develop an industrial zone around a small airport some suggested would not survive. There are 10,000 people working there today because of the vision of somebody like Lamas who said, to hell with the official reports, this is a good idea that can happen and is sustainable. That area went from light engineering to the most sophisticated technologies now on the face of the earth. We have companies like Intel and Jaguar Land Rover developing the next wave of technologies around autonomous vehicles. They are way out there in terms of what they can do. If we sow the seed, it can grow and it can deliver. Well, mm. S Senator Dooley will have to get elected at the next election as a TD, become a minister, and let's hope then that he drives this. For you, these things need champions. Mm. Lamas, of course, had one important civil servant, T.K. Whitaker. So, uh, Senator Dooley, if he's going to do this, um, and I hope he does, he'll need to get the civil servants behind him as well. Yeah, but I, let's, you see, talking is great, but we, we need a bit of action. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I suppose a bit of investment as well. And investment, yeah. Yeah, but a bit of planning wouldn't go amiss. Wouldn't either. go amiss. <laughs> and, and, of which we, we see on page three of The Champion, uh, Dan Danher is writing, uh, wind farm windfall in East Clare. And I think we alluded to it last week, I think, in that broad for GA, we're getting a, uh, going to get a few bob from RWE Renewables. Uh, they've published a map with the proposed location of eight wind turbines at Fahibeg, Fahimoor North, Ballymoney and Ballynavon in Bridgetown. So it, it, it's close to the border of our uh, area that we cover, but it's um, uh, a proposal, we'll say, for uh, turbines to be developed and, uh, you know, there's... This is onshore wind, which has probably caused a few issues, we'll say, mm -hmm. maybe that there was perhaps too much of it in mm. the wrong areas that are, that are going. And of course, Derry Bryan, where a bit of a ludicrous decision made to sort of shut it down, but that's an argument for mm. a, I suppose another day. We have the Atlantic off the west coast, yeah. where the wind is blowing pretty much all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, you see, I think the scope that's there for, for uh, wind generation and the infrastructure is, is at money point. As it well. is. Well, I think it is maybe the infrastructure. It's still probably a bit more expensive to put wind turbines out in the sea, but maybe the, the infrastructure isn't fully there quite yet. But um, you'd hope then that once it, once it is all connected up and, um, of course, we're still, uh, Luke goes on about this and he's right, we're still waiting for the regulator, um, which is which is will be the planning authority for the for, for the West Coast for all our sea territories, to be able to approve all of these things and to come up with the regulations before we make a hame of it. Like the Derry Brine one was the problem because we didn't follow the regulations and we didn't follow the EU directive. But it must be a year since we've been talking about this. It's more than a year. It's more, Jim. We've yeah, been going on. We've because been going on, and we've been saying what a great thing it is. But and I'd say. 
it'll be another two, three, four years before we see anything happen. And does it take that long to develop? Uh, I'm not asking you now; it's a rhetorical question. Yeah. To develop rules for this, you know, for for this kind of new adventure that we're we're going on. Well, they're saying 2027 is going to be the time before anything will happen out here in 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 Lupet. That was mentioned. Tim Dooley had it on even there a couple of weeks ago about, about pushing it back to maybe getting it going in by 2025. That's 2027 or 2127? They're saying 2027, so maybe it could be 2127. I remain sceptical. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd look forward to the era when we'll be an exporter of energy. Oh, well, listen, yeah. that's what we should be gearing towards. And, and then you sort of underneath that article, before we come back to our own side uh, of the of the plan, Jim, plans underway for on-street EV charging as they go on Ennis. Oh, surprise, surprise, they're putting charging into the place where there's already chargers. Yes. Not, uh, uh, you know, not much N- mention. Nothing in Tungraney or Mount well, Shannon uh, no, or e- East, East Clare, the whole East Clare area in general. I know Porrick has alluded to it in the past. And he, he writes about it, we'll say, on page 21 of the Echo. And uh, uh, I, I do like, we say, because Park has done work on it in the past, he, his final paragraph. Absence of a single charging point in East Clare from Ennis to Portumna and back towards Sanina has previously been labelled by Councillor Pat Hayes, Fianna Fáil, as, quote, an awful indictment. <laughs> Officials in the Killaloo Municipal District have said worthwhile locations considered installation have been uncovered in Killaloo. I'm sorry. I call BS on that. Okay. <laughs> I said, Did we not know they were there two, three years ago? I, I, I said, would I see action, Jim? That's yeah. very yes. interesting. Yes. Words don't mean anything. Yeah. So, uh, I'd say this thing here, Claire Callum Malay is calling for more, more of this, but this is kind of like the Dublin thing and the Claire thing, Innes. Yes, yes I know. all about putting them in Innes, but there's no one about putting them out of the country. Yeah. Next thing they'll be looking for water from O'Callaghan's <laughs> Mill. <laughs> that had never happened. <laughs> okay, Pat, uh, there's a lot of housing in Tulla. There mightn't be any chargers, but uh, there are houses being built and there are more houses in the planning stage at the moment. Yeah, the plan will see clarity on yet more Tulla housing development plans. Fiona McGarry has the story there. Plans to develop more private housing in the town of Tulla have generated some concerns locally and prompted the council to probe a number of aspects of the project. In May, Woodhaven Developments launched plans for 36 new houses on a Greenfield site close to Glebe House on Church Road. The company has already have, have permission to build some greenhouses and a commercial centre nearby on the site of the former St. Joseph's School, Secondary School. Tour planners, the latest plans will help to meet housing needs in Tulla, create 42 construction jobs and represent an investment of 3.75 million in the town. Within the window for public consultation, four submissions were made. Um, I suppose there's a new, new development in, mm. in, in Tulla and they're just looking for clarification. And, and, and another development in Tulla. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, Tulla is becoming a popular place. Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's upwards of 100 houses built. There was totally. Uh, Social houses going out on the Goth Road there, and there's um, that, that development in this secondary school, and then there's another one down below, down near the garden central there, there's a development there as well, and there's a planning permission for more houses along the along it as well. So, hmm. But in case you think Tulla's getting it all, Fiona also has a story beneath it which says green light for further Crusheen housing, um, 42 new homes on a site close to 1.7 hectares close to the village centre has been granted conditional permission. 
So 23 conditions associated your, your with rail, it. Your railway line or the bus connection there. I'd oh, say. Sure. Yes. I, you know, yeah. I'd love to see, I'd love to see Christine getting, getting on. Yes. <laughs> maybe the railway station would be at some stage. Let the people there first. Yes. Okay. Um, we don't seem to be so lucky with um, housing developments back towards East Clare. No, again, it's a bit like the, the electric chargers. Um, number one, there doesn't seem to be too many people wanting to develop uh, houses. And then the developments that are being proposed are facing a lot of challenges. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think we'll say given the challenges that are in the economy with inflation running around 8 or 9%, yeah. uh, trying to plan and build houses at the minute, I'd say, is not an easy option. It's no, not easy. Not it's very easy difficult, option, you know. Yeah. As we can see well, with the, the bridge at Killaloo. There's Woodhaven developments. They're they, they the, they the people in Tulla building in Tulla, and they're they the people building in Cushing as well. So. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. Could, could I butt in and just allude to page 13, which is our local uh, page in the, in the Champion? Because uh, we're talking about Tulla. There's a lovely photograph there of Grace Corrie and her sausage rolls that took the top prize in the savoury pastry category at Clanmel Show. Yeah. God, they look nice, don't they look? By God, they do. And, and yeah. I said, no, I, I, I don't pass that road at the appropriate times because <laughs> I, have, I have never seen her at the GA pitch in Tulla. I see the signs, I'm starting to go, where the yeah. hell is it? It's usually in the morning time, I think. Morning time should be that, there, that yeah. explain why yes. it's yeah, it should be, time should be down in the credit card pages, car park in the afternoon. Well, well, we'll have to make yeah. a, a change for it, and I, I will start to give a nice little plug there as well. Uh, the price list of, of uh, uh, some of the products that she has for sale yes. is available, and they are, in my opinion, very competitive. Very yeah. competitive. Uh, but uh, it's, to it's, be admired. And, but it's another story. If you read the article by Fiona McGarry, um, she was working in Dublin um, in, in Smock Alley Theatre up until June 21. And then she decided to pack it all in and come down here. So it's one of these, she's a nice example of, of uh, people returning to the area. Well, recently we went, we did a programme in Spencer Hill. And I drove over to Tulla one morning and I was to collect Pat O'Brien and uh, Anthony Lenhan outside the herding field. Mm. So I was sitting there for about 10 minutes. Because they were late, I suppose. Of course they were late. <laughs> I was there in maybe. But while I was there, several people pulled up in their car, went over, got a coffee or whatever mm. they were getting, mm. and off again. I mean, she was not idle. Really? Uh, yeah. While it's a good in the sign. 10 yeah. minutes or so. Yeah, that yeah, I was great, great to see. And another. Yeah. It's good to support her. Yeah. Yeah. And she walks the out, uh, looks, you know, uh, from Tuesday to Saturday. In, from morning to lunch then, so Okay, anyway, while you, um, this time of year, we're looking at festivals, and as we speak, uh, the festival in Killaloo, the Fela Brian Baru, is happening and is finishing up this evening, yeah, yeah. and in a couple of weeks, the Harbour Festival is uh, coming to Scarif. So um, we're in the festival season. We're certainly in the festival season. There always seems to be a festival going on somewhere anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, but anyway, the page 13 again, uh, the East and Southeast Clare page. Biodiversity recognised in Scarif Harbour Festival programme. So um, they're talking about uh, Irish seed savers, uh, the National Heritage Apple Tree Collection, over 180 varieties. So they're highlighting biodiversity. Uh, this is just one part of the of program, the Jim. Yeah. Uh, full details of this year's Scarif Harbour Festival program are available online at scarif.ie. 
Yeah. So it's and uh, it's it's a, a vast program of so many different things, and as you say, that's one element of it. Um, the the yeah. trip to which is well worthwhile a trip out to Seed Savers yeah. to see what they're doing. Exactly. Um, but um, hopefully there there isn't a church concert this year. Mm. Um, I think they're kind of easing back into easing it maybe back, with yeah. COVID and everything. But as, as far as you know, all the other bits are there. We had uh, Alfie Rogers yesterday from Dergyle on Scarif on Saturday Chronicle. And he was saying that, you know, there are periods in, I think, Saturday and Sunday afternoon where you can go out and get a, a feel of what they have out there in terms of kayaking, canoeing, that kind of thing. Great. So um, well, yeah. there are loads what, of... One of the first things I did when we moved here to Scariff, Tomb Graney... Tomb Graney. Tomb Graney, Well, we, went to the, we came to the Scariff Harbour Festival to... In Tomb In Tomb yeah. <laughs> We didn't know the politics of it then, Luke. But anyway, we took the boat. There was a boat, a boat trip as part of the festival from Scariff Harbour to the mouth of the, of the lake. Yes. Okay. And that was sort of our first kind of introduction to the place. And we brought the children with us. So even for locals, what I would suggest, even for locals, those sorts of things are, are mm. nice when they... Cause, and it's free. They are, I, it's free. I always think the, the, from that stretch of river... Yeah. from the harbour down to the mouth yeah. where it opens out into the lake. Yeah. Absolutely fabulous. Lovely. Yeah, well, Jim, as you've, you've lived here, I've lived here, and the one thing that we do not avail of enough of is the lake. Is the lake, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, we've been driving past it and we have no appreciation for it. No, no, that is true. You know? So many people around, I was talking to someone today who you know, wasn't, wasn't ever in Holy Island, for example. Really? You know, and there are lots yeah. of people around who have never been to Holy yeah. Island. Well, for those people out there, and again, that's one of the things we did uh, in time. Uh, where do you go to get a boat? Well, you go to Mount Shannon and to Jermadden, and he'll bring you out there. Or you go down to Durgoyle, and you can hire your own boat, and you get an, on a lovely day, as it is today, uh, you'll go out and you'll love it. Yep. Or you can get the cruise in Killaloo as well, which is well worth a spot with James and all the rest of it. Eight no Brian winner there, Jim and the own and the page yes. in East there. Uh, winner with no Brian award revealed. Congratulations, I extend it to Emily Chin, winner of the very first Eight no Brian Creative Writing Award at Scarlet Community College. The initiative celebrates the life of one of Ireland's finest writers in the area that she was born and raised. Uh, commending on Emily's winning poems, and Judge said, "From me, the winner has got to be the say. It's creative, it's daring, and it's ambitious, and it's topical." Congratulations to the poet who wrote it. I'm very jealous. It was an honour to judge the place for the inaugural in the O'Brien Ethno O'Brien Creative Writing Award for Scarlet Community College. So, yeah, very good. Congratulations. congratulations. Are, you, are you taking to the whiskey? I'm looking at you there. You're <laughs> reading an article on whiskey. Yeah, balance of whiskey maturing in the iconic O'Brien Tower. And only, a new partnership has been agreed between the Cliffsamoa experience and JJ Coffee Whiskey to create a series of Irish whiskies finished in sherry casks in the iconic O'Brien's Tower. Called Clare-based JJ Coffee has selected single malt, pot, steel, and single grain whiskies from around the island of Ireland to mature in 950 litre barrels within the tower, which was built by Cornelius. Saw Cornelius O'Brien on the edge of the world famous cliffs in 1835. 
So when is it going to be ready, ready to drink? So in, about, in about 2035. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we'll have to make sure they have a Lindell Dell Butler and set it off. Is it going to be sort of the wild Atlantic? Is, it, is the wind howling around mm. the tower going to improve the whiskey, I wonder, Pat? <laughs> I'd say there's, there's, a better chance, there's, there's a better chance of the whiskey being made before the turbines arrive. <laughs> anyway, so. Is there a piece about Sean Kiley? <laughs> Oh yeah, there is uh, the Sean Kiley there. Yeah, he was uh, a neighbour of yours. neighbour of mine, not at Hansville. Yeah, Sean is a very nice fellow. Um, uh, Tomás Macanmala has a, uh, a very nice uh, appreciation here about Sean. Sean uh, was a gentle kind of a soul and um, a great neighbour to everyone. And um, uh, Tomás is a beautiful, beautiful actor there, and and just true to, to to what he says every, every bit of it. So Sean was uh, died there recently. He was sixty-seven, and he was in um, the base in Killaloe, and um, he had Parkinson's disease. Um, and he was 76 when he died, so yes. we rest in peace. May he rest in peace, indeed. Okay, we have to finish because we've reached that time. There are loads of photos. We were going to talk about them, particularly in the Clare Champion this week. Uh, pages of photographs, very interesting. Lovely photographs of everything from Croke Park, which aren't that lovely. but um, Willie Clancy, loads of Willie Clancy, photos, yes. Yeah. There's uh, dancing. in uh, for pleasure, yeah. Dancing for pleasure. Lovely, lovely photographs. Okay, listen, thank you very much to everybody, to uh, Pat, thank you Pat. Thanks Jim. And to David. Thanks Jim. And off the bench again, Luke. Heading so, first, hopefully next week again. Well, you never know, anyway, you're match fit at this stage, <laughs> so many thanks. Pat, what are we going to play out on? Well, we'll uh, as, as, as the summer is here, Jim, we'll work with Electric Light Orchestra, and, and Rock and Roll is King. Yeah. <laughs> rock and Roll is King. king yeah. That's brilliant. That's a good Sunday song. Lovely. Anyway, I hope uh, the rest of your Sunday and your weekend is nice. Thank you for listening to uh, local media this week here on Scarif Bay Community Radio. We'll, please God, talk to you next week. Goodbye and God bless.